My brothers and sisters, wherever, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms, falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Dave and I were on vacation this past week, and we were watching a show on Amazon and we got a little addicted to it, I'm not going to lie. And um, one of the, uh, there were several episodes, and in one of the episodes, there was a storyline where there was a, a pretty evil man. I would say evil probably would depict him well. He was not a good guy, and, but he gave the appearance of being a pretty good guy. And he had a young man that worked for him, and he found out that this young man was was betraying him, that he was not as faithful to the evil cause as, as he was. And so he took him to the roof of a building. It was probably 50 floors high. And he took them to the top of the roof. And, and he was talking, you know, you would have thought they were really good friends. And, and, and he, was, he was just chatting him up. And, and he was really kind of digging for information. And he found out that this young man could not be convinced to come over to his side. He wanted him to, to be as corrupt as he was. He wanted him him to become a traitor like he was and 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 so at first it looks like they're chummy and they're on this rooftop together and and then then this evil man finds out that that he can't convince this young man to come over to his side and then suddenly without much notice the evil man reaches up and hits him on this on the chest and when he does he loses his balance he loses his footing and he begins to waver back and forth and at just the right moment, he reaches back up and hits him again, and he goes tumbling off the rooftop 50 floors down to his death. I tell you that because James is giving us a picture here. He says, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials of many kinds, many kinds. Your trial doesn't look like my trial. My trial may not be an issue for you, but it may knock me off my feet. And uh, we've got many kinds of trials. They're variegated kinds of trials. But he says, consider it pure joy when you encounter them because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you will be mature and complete and not lacking anything. And then he says, if any man lacks and he lacks wisdom, he should ask and God will give it to him generously, to all without finding fault. If you lack wisdom and how to deal with that trial that you're going through, that trouble that you're going through, how to deal with it and walk through it with perseverance and with integrity, you just need to ask God for wisdom and he'll, he'll give it to you and, and he'll give it generously and he's not going to fault you, he's not going to say you should know better. But, it, but then James says, but that man who asks, when he asks, he should, he should believe and not doubt because the man who doubts is like a wave of the sea, he's tossed to and fro. And that man should not believe he'll receive anything from God because he is unstable in all that he does. In other words, he's wavering. He's going back and forth between belief and unbelief. God is good, God is bad, God is faithful, God is not faithful, God's word works, God's word doesn't work, and he's wavering back and forth. And you see, that's the kind of enemy we have, the same kind that Dave and I saw in that Amazon program where, where, where he's evil, but he wants you to, to be chummy with him. He wants you to see that the problem that that young man made in the first place was that he ever began to debate with, with that evil man, that, that he even entered into conversation with that evil man. He should have just ignored 
ignored him. He should have just, he just should have ignored the voice. And, but he went with him and, and, and he went to this rooftop. And it was, it was at that point where he began to, to, uh, to, to converse with that evil man. And, and he, got, he, got, he got pushed and he lost his footing. And you see, that's the kind of enemy we have. He wants us to converse with him. He wants, he wants, to, he wants to make us traitors like he is. And at just the right moment, he waits for that white, right moment where, where he can push and we begin to lose our footing and we begin to waver back and forth. Did God really say this? I don't know if he really meant this. Is God's word really true? I don't know if it really works in this situation. And we begin to waver back and forth and he wants us to lose our footing because he wants to push us to our spiritual death. He wants us to push us to that place of questioning, uh, to where we are unstable in all we do, where we can not even believe we'll receive anything from God because we're so unstable, wavering between doubt and unbelief. And then James goes on in this passage that Kate read tonight, and, and he talks about the poor man and the rich man. And, and I've read commentator after commentator who says, oh, this has to do with wealth and, and whether you're poor, poor um, you know, as far as financial, financially goes, or if you're rich financially. And, and I don't believe that for a second. I believe what James is saying is it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a man of great wealth, whether you're a great, where your life is peachy, keen, hunky-dory, and you are rich in life. And I don't mean financially. I mean emotionally. I mean everything's going well for you, and you look like you are prospering. Or whether you're over here and you're downcast and everything seems to be going wrong for you. It doesn't matter if you're poor in circumstance, if you're poor in, in situation, if you're poor in, in life, but not financially. I mean emotionally. I'm, I mean if your life is just hard for you right now. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you are because if your life is prospering right now, just take good notes because I promise you, you're not, you're not exempt from this. Trials are going to come. The testing of your faith. You see, you're the testing of your faith. God wants to prove you genuine. He's going to test that faith. And it's in that testing of your faith that we find out who we really are. But the enemy, he wants to push. He wants us to waver. He wants us to stumble between doubt and unbelief. He doesn't want you to believe. He wants you to be unstable. He doesn't want you to expect that you're going to receive anything from God. James goes on and he says, it's like a flower. A flower's here one day and it's blooming and it's beautiful and the next day it withers. That's how life is. Everything can be going well. It's peachy keen, honky-dory one minute and then a telephone call or a doctor's report or, 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 or something happens and then suddenly life isn't as good as we thought it was. And that trial comes, that testing of our faith comes. But James says, blessed is the man who perseveres because he will receive a crown of life. Life is coming. It's coming. And so I want to just go on to that next verse. We've been talking about this for several weeks now. But, but I just want to talk a little bit more uh, about this, these next few verses. And then we'll go on next week. But I want you to open your Bibles and turn to... Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. There's Acts and then there's Romans. Chapter 4, verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, and since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us. 
to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. I want to just look at that because when James says that that man is unstable in all he does, that word unstable means inconstant. It means fickle or likely to change frequently without uh, apparent reason. It means to be restless. And there's so many of us here tonight, and we are restless in life. We're going through trials. We're going through a trouble, and, and, and the enemy uses it to push us and to make us feel unstable and restless in our life. He steals our peace. He robs us of our joy, and he makes us live in this place of constant torment and upheaval, and that's his goal. And I want to look at the story of Abraham. It's a familiar story to most of us. You will know that Abraham was way past his ability to, to bear children. He, he was old, old in age. Sarah, uh, she had already been through the change uh, of life, and, and she was not able to bear children anymore. Her womb uh, was dead, Scripture says. But I want you to see what he says here. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so because of that, as a result of his belief in God, regardless of what a circumstance says, it says that he became the father of many nations. But look at verse 19. Without weakening in his face, faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. I want you to see what the scripture says there. It says, without wavering, he faced the facts. In other words, the facts were that he was beyond the ability to bear children anymore. That the facts were that Sarah's womb was beyond the ability to bear children anymore. Do you see? Those were facts. That's a fact, Jack. You can't deny it. They were not able to bear children. She was barren. He was beyond the age of being able to bear another child. It was impossible. The situation looked impossible. And some of you are here tonight, and your situations look impossible. That's a fact. I was saying to Leslie earlier tonight, I said, here are the facts, Leslie. These are facts. I can't change them. This is the situation. I, don't be super spiritual and look at your situation and say, well, I'm just not going to deny them. I'm just going to deny the facts. I'm going to speak faith instead of the facts. No, the facts really are facts. That, that's the reality. But God is not limited to your facts. Can I just tell you, his faith and what he can do is so much bigger than those facts. And that's what the word says. Abraham, without wavering, faced the facts. He did not waver through unbelief, regardless of what the facts said. He didn't waver. Instead, he was strengthened in his faith. Some of us need to be strengthened in our faith. You say, Maria, why are you taking so many weeks on faith? Why are you taking so many weeks to, to say the same thing to us over and over and over? Because I'm going to tell you, we need to be strengthened in our faith. We need to be reminded what our God is capable of doing, that he is so much bigger than our facts. You know the story of Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus, you've heard me say it a million times. Mary and Martha, Lazarus is sick. They send a message to Jesus. Jesus, the one you love is sick. Now, Mary and Martha had seen Jesus do the miraculous over and over and over throughout their friendship with him. Throughout the years that they traveled with him, they were, they were close companions with him. They supported his ministry financially. They had seen what Jesus would do to perfect strangers. They saw him do the miraculous. But their brother gets sick, and, and they send a message to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, the one you love so well is sick. In other words, come and help us. But Jesus, the word says, delayed where he was two more days, intentionally delayed where he was two more days. So when he shows up, Lazarus is dead. He's in the grave. They've buried him. They didn't even wait for Jesus. I, I want that story to end differently. I tell you that all the time. I really want them to say, I don't care how stinky this body gets. I don't care how hopeless this situation is. We've seen what Jesus can do, and we're waiting right here till he shows up. He says that this sickness will not end in death. I'm going to believe what he says regardless of what I see here. We're not burying this guy. We're waiting for Jesus. That's how I want it to end, but that's not what happened. Mary and Martha, who had seen what Jesus could do a million times over, instead of believing and not wavering, they bury him. We need our faith strengthened. 
We need to be reminded what God can do. We need to be reminded that the power of God is still at work inside of us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in our situations and that he means what he says. Abraham had a promise from God. He says, you are going to be the father of many nations, that your offspring are going to be great. And Abraham is sitting there uh, with a barren wife, way beyond the ability of bearing children in his own age, old age. Abraham could have looked at the promise of God and laughed and said, are you kidding me? This is impossible. Do you you know how old we are? Do you know what our situation is like? Do you know how hopeless this situation looks, God? That's really nice that you want to say that, but really I'm going to believe these facts that I'm seeing in front of me. But the word says that Abraham believed and did not waver, waver in unbelief. Because James tells us that the man who does that is unstable in all he does and should not believe that he'll receive anything from God, right? And so Abraham faced the facts. You see, the fact might be that that you have a bad medical report. The fact might be that your finances are in upheaval. The fact might be that you found your husband cheating on you with another woman. The fact might be that that, that, that your, your child is addicted. The fact might be that you're addicted. Those might be the facts that you have to face. But Abraham, without doubting, faced the facts, yet did not waver in unbelief. No way. My God is bigger than this. I have a promise from God, and I'm hanging on to that promise with everything I have because he is a promise keeper. He is not a man that he should lie. His promises are yea and amen to those who believe. Do you believe is the question because it is, it is only the unbelief that will cause you to waver. If you believe, nothing's impossible for you. Can I promise you that? You can say to that tree, be ye removed, and it'll be thrown into the depths of the sea. Because all it takes is faith the size of a mustard seed. It takes that faithfulness of saying, God, I believe you above everything else. You see, that doesn't make sense in this world because we're looking at facts. We're looking at what we see in the natural versus what we know in the supernatural. But you see, the problem, I believe, is that we don't know enough about the supernatural. We, we don't know enough about what God can do. The Bible says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That he does not change. Yesterday, he did the miraculous. I want to stand on this chair just so I can get your attention a little bit more. I want to just, I want to drill this into you. Do you understand what our God is capable of? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday, not one person who came to him for healing was turned away. Every last one of them was healed. Well, you say, well, Rhea, that's not how it is. Okay, well, then waver in unbelief. I really don't care. I know what I believe. And trust me, you want me praying for you if, if you are sick because I really believe there. I believe it with every ounce of my being. I believe he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You say, well, Rhea, that doesn't fit in my box. Rock on with your bad self. It fits in my box because I know that God never changes. I know it. And see, that's where we've got to come in life, where regardless of what we see, we face the facts, we say, this is a fact, Jack, but my God is able. Do you believe that? Because without faith, without total trust in God and in his word, it's impossible to please him. It's not like you're trying to to twist God's arm. It's not like you're trying to, to do spiritual witchcraft with God. I've heard it described that way. That if I stand in faith on God's word and I don't move, that that's spiritual witchcraft and I'm trying to, to talk God into something. No, I'm not. I, I'm just, I am just telling God I agree with him. That I trust he's not a man that he should lie. That his word is true. It's yea and amen. Here's what I don't understand. We believe God for salvation. We believe that God can save us from a burning hell that we deserve quite frankly, and that we, by faith, can, can go to heaven that we don't deserve, a place with no tears, no pain, no heartache, a place of perfection. How many of us believe that's possible? Oh, come on. Yes, of course we do. That's, that's the basis of our, our, our Christianity, is it not? Okay, well, we believe that. That's huge that I believe Rhea, who deserves hell, gets to go to heaven by grace just because I believe it. That's all it takes is my belief attached to his grace, and I get to go to heaven. 
But we believe for that. But then when, when we are struggling financially or we're struggling emotionally or we're struggling whatever, our children are off doing who knows what and we start to waver. Do you really mean it, God? Do you, you mean that you can save me from hell and take me to heaven, but do you really believe that you can free me from this addiction? Yeah. He's your bondage breaker. No temptation has seized you, but what is common to man. And when you are tempted, he will always be faithful to give you a way of escape. You just have to choose to take it. That you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. That no weapon formed against you will prosper. That that's your, that's your inheritance from God. That he'll refute every tongue that accuses you. That's your inheritance from God. That by his stripes you have been healed. It's already done. It's not just a spiritual healing. It is a physical one. Walk out. I don't care. It's what I believe. That he leads you in triumph everywhere you go. That, that you don't have a spirit of fear, that you have a sound mind, that you have a spirit of power. Those are all things I believe by faith. My, 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 my children, I, I will tell you, I speak over my children all the time, regardless of what facts I have to face, what I'm seeing in the natural. I believe by faith that my sons will be taught by the Lord, and great will my children's peace be, that the offspring of the righteous are blessed, and they're mighty in the land. And regardless of what I see in the natural, I'm speaking that. I am speaking that. I am not going to surrender to what I see in the natural. You heard him talk about how he was drinking and partying and he couldn't go an hour without a drink beside him. And I'm telling you, when he was at his worst, I stood and I said, my son will be taught by the Lord and great will my children's peace be. I don't care what facts I have to face. The fact may be that he's drinking every hour and can't live without one, but my son will be taught by the Lord and great will my children's peace be. Can I tell you, he wants to be a pastor with everything in his heart and I believe it with every ounce of my being that he will be. Because I don't call that which is. I don't look at the facts. I might face them. I might say that's a fact. But God's word is greater. God's word is greater. We are not going to waver in unbelief. Church, that's what's getting us in trouble. We are wavering. We're tossed and turned by all kinds of, of situations and circumstances in our life. And we need to be fully persuaded that God is able that he is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. In Mark 4, we, we see uh, that the disciples and Jesus are in a boat. And Jesus, the word says, is asleep in the boat, and I love that. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a storm arises. And isn't that how storms work in our life? Everything seems to be smooth sailing and, and everything seems to be calm. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a storm comes. If you're not in a storm tonight, that, that's really great. But take good notes because I'm telling you, in, in a moment, a storm can rise. And it can rock your boat like nothing. And that's what happened to the disciples. And, and see, here's what bothers me is so often we, we, will, we do this super spiritual thing. It pushes every button that I have where, where we'll say, oh, Karen, don't say that out of your mouth. That's not, you need to confess God's word and don't admit to that kind of stuff. Don't speak that into being. I'm not speaking it into being. I'm telling you, these are the facts. Abraham did not say, I can't speak this into being. I, I, I'm a young man, even though I'm over 100. Sarah's womb is not barren, even though it was. No, scripture says Abraham faced the facts. He faced the facts. He wasn't, he wasn't saying, oh, we can't speak that. Well, that's really great if you can be that super spiritual. But, you know, when, when facts are facts in front of your life and, and you are looking at them and you have to face them and say, nothing's changing here and this is pretty bad and this looks pretty hopeless, those are facts. And Scripture says Abraham faced the facts, yet did not waver in unbelief. See, those are two different things. And so the facts were that, they, that the disciples were in a boat and a storm came up. We can't change those facts. And you see, well, you can say, well, they were really just dramatic and, and it really wasn't that bad of a storm. But these were fishermen. They knew storms. They, they, they weren't just being dramatic. When they said to Jesus, wake up, oh, do not even care if we're going to die, that this was a big storm. 
They, they weren't going to super spiritualize it and say, oh, our boat's rocking, but we're not in a storm. No, it, the fact was they were in a storm, and it was a big one. The fishermen who know storms thought they were going to die. And they go wake up Jesus, who's sound asleep in the midst of this storm, and they say, do you not even care that we're going to die? Don't you care, Jesus, that we're going to die? Isn't that what we do? Jesus, don't you care that this is happening in my life? Where are you? Are you asleep on the job? Do you not even care that I'm going through this trial in my life? Do you not even care how painful this situation is? Where are you, Jesus? Are you asleep on the job? Are you just, is this not even, you do not even love me? I think you love everybody else, Jesus, but, but why would you let this storm be happening in my life if you loved me? Jesus wakes up and, you know, the story, he calms the storm and then he says to the disciples, I love this, why are you so fearful? I looked up that word fearful and it's, it's interesting to me. It means timid or fearful. But it means Christians who through cowardice give way under persecutions and walk away from their faith. Christians who through cowardice gives, give way under persecutions and walk away and abandon their faith. Jesus wakes up, calms the storm, and he says, why are you so timid? Why did you let the enemy push, intimidate you? Why did you let the enemy bring this storm in your life and you shrink back in fear and, and abandon your faith in me because of what you saw in front of you? Why did you let him push you? Why didn't you push him back with the word? Why did you let him knock you off your footing? Why did you let him cause you to waver? Isn't it interesting that that word, is, that word for fearful is timid? It's the same word that's used when we're told that you've not been given a spirit of fear, of, in, of timidity, of intimidation. You know, I, I don't know, women, sometimes we struggle with this. I don't know about men, but, you know, I, this pushes my buttons. When we allow somebody to intimidate us, when, when, when somebody's presence makes us shrink and feel small, and we forget who we are. If I allow you that kind of power in my life that you can intimidate me and I forget who I am and I become small because I think you're big, that's intimidation. And you see, that's what the enemy wants us to do. Because remember, it's a testing of our faith. It's a testing, James says. I, I want to see how firm your faith is. I, I want to prove, remember, Satan what went to, to before God in Job, and he says, you know, uh, God says, where have you been, Satan? And he says, I've been roaming the earth to and fro. I've been looking for vulnerabilities and weaknesses. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> I have such confidence in him. Have you considered him? Oh, don't you wish that God would say that about you? Have you considered my servant, Rhea? I have such confidence in her that she will not turn her back on me, that she won't waver. I have every bit of confidence in her. Go ahead. Testing of our faith. The enemy wants to knock us off, off guard. He wants to wants us to lose our footing, our spiritual footing. He wants us to begin to waver. Does God really love me? I don't know. Is God really faithful to his word? I don't think so. Is God, does God's word really work? I don't think so, not for me. It, will God be faithful? Not today, he won't. He wants us to waver back and forth. Double-minded man, two-souled man, two-minded man. I'm a spiritual mind at one moment, carnally minded the next. I'm back and forth, wishy-washy in my faith. And God wants us to stand firm, not out of works, but because we truly, truly believe that that's who he says he is, that he'll do what he says he'll do. I hate more than anything in this world for somebody to question my integrity. Ask Leslie, ask Dave. It, it pushes my buttons more than anything in this world because I take great pride in the fact that if I say something, I mean it. I will do it. That you can trust me to be honest. That you can trust me to be truthful. I'm human. And I, I, it bothers me if somebody questions my integrity that way. 
Can you imagine how God, who is perfect in every way, who's not a man that he should lie, that it's not just that he, he won't lie, he can't lie. It's against his nature. It's against his character. And yet we question him. Will you be faithful? I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself here. We question him. And then you see what, it, what, what the enemy wants is he brings it and, and he wants to push us with the trial, with the, with the questioning God, with, with the, the testing. He uses it to push us and to get us to lose our footing. And he wants to intimidate us with the trial. He wants to intimidate us with the, with, with the, with the painful situation, with the heartache, with the heartbreak with the difficulty, he comes at you and says, oh, come on, just like he did in the garden with Eve. Did God really say? He doesn't mean what he says. He's not faithful to you. He's withholding good from you. And he gets us to waver. And that's what he does. He throws a trial. He throws a tribulation. He throws a heartache or a heartbreak in our face to intimidate us, to get us to cower and back down and say, I'm small, you're big. I'm small, this trial is big. I'm small, this situation is big. I'm small, this heartache is big. And he gets us to shrink back. Why are you so fearful, Jesus? Why are you so timid? Do you not know who I am? Do you not know I'm in your boat? <laughs> Do you not know I'm not sleeping? I'm just at rest. I'm just at rest because I know who is the author of this storm. I know who is able to calm it. He's, a, he's in your boat. When your world is rocking, he's in your boat. But so often we take our eyes off of him and onto the situation. That word timid means lacking in courage or confidence, lacking in boldness. Or determination. You see, we let trials rob us of our confidence in God, rob us of our courage. You say, well, Rhea, you don't know my situation. I've been believing God. I've been trusting in him, but heaven seems silent. It feels like he, he doesn't love me, that he loves everybody else, and he is faithful to everybody else. And, and I really have been believing, Rhea, but I'm not seeing his faithfulness. I'm not seeing him come through for me. I'm really glad he comes through for you, but I'm not seeing it in my situation. And Rhea, if you knew my situation, you would understand why it's so hard for me to believe I'm just weary, I'm tired, I'm feeling beaten down, I'm feeling like God never shows up for me, Rhea, and, and I have been believing, I have been, I'm just not seeing his faithfulness, Rhea, and my word for you is don't waver, keep believing. Open your Bibles to, to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, I want to read verses 32 through 39, because I think sometimes we feel like that. Like, let's just forget it. Let's just throw in the, in the towel. This situation is too big. This, this situation's too painful. This God stuff doesn't work. I might as well just surrender to it. Let the enemy win. Hebrews chapter 10, let's look at verses 32 through 39. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured an a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood by, side by side those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But, in my, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. It's interesting to me, some translations say, do not throw away, and some say, do not cast away your confidence. 
you need to know that the book of Hebrews was written to believers who were suffering. They, they had lost everything. They, they had gone through a time of intense suffering and, and things weren't changing and years had passed and, and these believers were, 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 were in pain for a long time. And by the time they had received this letter and they were told to not throw away their confidence, they had already believe, been believing God and trusting God for some time but not seeing him show up in their situation. And I'm sure that they were in a place where they were saying, does God even care? Does God keep his promises? Is God for us? Does he have the power that he says he has? Because I'm not seeing it in my situation. And so the writer of Hebrews comes, and at that point he says, don't cast away your confidence. Don't throw away your confidence. I know you want to toss it aside. I know you're tempted to throw your faith aside. I know you're tempted to, to lose your confidence in God and in his faithfulness, but don't throw it aside. That word confidence means freedom in speaking, unreservedness in speech, it means without ambiguity or uncertainty. It means free and fearless confidence, cheerful courage, boldness, and assurance. He's saying, don't let uncertainty have a place in your mind. I know, I know that you've been through some persecution. I know that you're going through some troubles, but, but I want you to hold on. Don't waver in unbelief. Don't throw away your confidence in God because you're not seeing him at work right now. Keep on believing because when you have stood the test of time when you have stood it you will receive a crown of life a life some of you are so deep in pain and heartache and trials right now that you don't have any life inside of you trust me just hang on don't waver in unbelief new life is coming new life is coming He's saying, don't give up those bold confessions and fearless conf uh, declarations. Don't throw away your confidence that God is who he says he is. Flip back to Hebrews 3. Lots of scripture tonight, but it's good stuff. Hebrews 3, verse 7. So the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me. For 40 years, they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation, and I said their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared my oath, and in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold on to our original confidence firmly to the end. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all of those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom God, did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. He said, hold on to your confidence. Don't throw aside your confidence because of unbelief because your situation doesn't seem to be changing because life is hard right now because heaven seems silent. When we first started out this teaching uh, several weeks ago, I, I told you about when I was a little girl growing up, how we had come across our television occasionally this buzz and this hum, and it would say, this is a test. This is only a test of the emergency broadcasting system. This is a test. Feels like the real thing. Sounds like the real thing, but it is only a test. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. Don't throw away your confidence. I know it doesn't feel like God is with you. I know that it doesn't feel like God is backing up his word. I know it doesn't feel like he's being faithful right now, but don't throw it aside. Don't harden your heart because of sin's deceitfulness. You see, the enemy's gonna come and he's gonna push and he's gonna want you to lose your footing. He's gonna want you to waver in unbelief. Don't be deceived by him. Don't be deceived by him and let him harden your heart by the lies he whispers. 
Don't throw away your confidence. Keep believing that God is able. You see, we have a choice. We can either believe our situation and live in despair and hopelessness and shrink back, lose our confidence, be ineffective, be rendered useless, or we can choose to believe God, the God who cannot lie. Look at what it says in Hebrews 10. He says, you need to persevere. That's the same word that James used when in verses, uh, the first part of the chapter where he says, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you will be mature and complete and not lacking anything. We talked last week about how sometimes when we first come to Christ, how we believe him for something and immediately we see it happen. You know, he says so $100 and, and we go out from that place and we find a 1000 laying on the floor. Hey, it's just the way he works. He, he, he rewards that faith really quickly when we're immature and new in the faith. But as we mature, he wants that perseverance to develop within us. He wants us to not be moved and not be, be moved and, and, and lose footing when the enemy pushes. He wants us to persevere and say, regardless of what I see, I'm waiting here till I see God show up. We are not going to be moved in this situation. I, I may have a dead Lazarus in front of me, but he is not getting buried. We're waiting for Jesus to show up because I believe his word, regardless of what I'm seeing. That's what perseverance does. Perseverance says this stinks, this hurts like the Dickens, this is painful. I'm not, I'm facing the facts. The facts are, this is painful. The facts are, this is difficult. The facts are, uh, this appears pretty hopeless. But here's the truth. That might be a fact, but here's the truth that outweighs it. God is good. God is faithful. God will bring me through this triumphantly. And so we're going to wait. And we're not going to waver. And we're going to stand. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. When he came to Jesus and he tempted him, he didn't tempt him with something that wasn't tempting. <laughs> Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. And the first thing he says to him, Jesus, why don't you turn these rocks into bread? It was tempting. Don't kid yourself. Jesus was hungry. Jesus wasn't so, well, I'm, I'm not hungry. That's not a temptation for me. So man doesn't live by bread alone. It was a temptation. Jesus faced the facts. He was probably hungry. But the truth overrode the facts. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then he brought another temptation and another one. And then the word of God says that Satan left Jesus until a more opportune time. You see, what happened was Satan pushed. Jesus pushed back with the truth of the word of God. He did not waver in unbelief. He did not shrink back and be intimidated by what the enemy was bringing at him. Instead, he stood firm, fearless, confident, bold, with who his God was. And the enemy had no choice because he was being resistant, resisted. The enemy had no choice at all. He had to leave to a more opportune time because he wasn't getting anywhere with Jesus. I'm really not happy to say that that doesn't happen with me very often. That sometimes when he pushes, I lose my footing. I'm in a situation like that in my life right now. And he pushes with pain. And I almost lose my footing until I get smart enough to push back with the word of God. If that young man on the rooftop in that movie that Dave and I watched had gotten strong footing when that little puny guy pushed him he might have moved a little bit, but he wouldn't have lost his footing. And had he pushed back, he never would have went over the edge. This week, can I encourage you to push back? Stand firm. When you have done everything you can to stand, 
Stand firm then. Let nothing move you. I'm not trying to minimize your circumstances. I, I know that in a room this size, that there are plenty of people who are hurting and in the middle of a trial that's bigger than them. But can I promise you that your trial is not bigger than your God? We have to stop telling our storm, our God, how big our storms are and start telling our storms how big our God is. But you see, we have to make our mind up that he is who he says he is. Why is it so easy for us to believe he's not? He's the only perfect thing. He's the only true thing. He's the only trustworthy thing. And yet we are so easily moved, myself included. By the push of the enemy. He calls things that are not as though they were. This earthly situation hasn't been settled yet. The word of God forever settled in heaven. That's what I'm going to push back. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Look at that Hebrews passage just in closing. I want you to see that. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, when he's accomplished what he wants to accomplish in you, you will receive what he's promised. We just need to persevere. Because you are not, I want to quote it correctly, We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. That word destroyed means loss of well-being. <laughs> but we belong to those who have faith and are saved. We're not going to shrink back and let the enemy intimidate us with trials and tribulations and heartache and despair. We're not going to lose our well-being over his push. We're not going to shrink back and forsake and abandon our belief and our faith in God because of this circumstance. Because we don't belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed and lose their well-being. We belong to those who stand firm in faith and are saved, delivered, set free, and redeemed. He is who he says he is. He will do what he says he will do. We've got to settle it in our mind that he's true. Nice faith. Next week, I want to talk to you about, I'm actually going to teach it this week, but I, um, I wanted to just touch this before we went on. But next week, I want to talk to you about growing doll of hearing. I was studying this past week the passage that talks about those who hear but do not hear. Those who have grown dull of hearing. It's very difficult to stand on a word that you don't believe. It's very difficult to stand on a word that you haven't received understanding about. That you don't have insight and wisdom to. It's very difficult to stand on a word that you read and it doesn't come alive to you. It's just words on a page versus revelation and rhema. A word that penetrates your being and you get that this really is a promise for you and for your situation. When you really get that rhema, when it comes alive inside of you, you will stand firm because nothing will be able to take that, rob that, that, that truth of that word from you. The reason that doesn't happen is because we've grown dull of hearing. And so next week I want to talk to you about growing dull of hearing and the things that really hinder us from understanding and receiving insight and wisdom into the word of God.
the things that really veil our eyes so that we don't have an understanding of the word, that we don't even want to turn to the word, that we want to pick up the phone and call Susie down the street to talk about our problem instead of running to the word of God to find relief for our problem. And so that's what I want to talk to you about next week. Um, and then we'll continue on in the James series. But I really feel like that's another area that we need to address before we can move on. Um, so let me just read one more time, James, in closing. I just want to bring it all together before we, we close here. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him crown of life, Zoe, the fullness of life. Are you missing that? Is the enemy stealing that from you? Stand firm and let nothing move.